I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. But we are joined now by another candidate for the District 9 Democratic nomination. That's Mr. Isaiah James. Mr. James, welcome to Max and Murphy. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So pretend I'm a voter you encounter on the street. I'm a Democrat. I live in your district. What's your pitch to me? Why should I vote for you uh, instead of the other candidates? Why should I vote at all? Well, you should vote at all because our democracy is at stake every single election, every single day. As we see from coming out of the White House, democracy is not safe. And when we sit on the sidelines, we can see what can happen when what can creep into office when folks don't vote. And as a district that's more than 50 percent African-American, I would assume you are a black person walking up to me because there's a lot of black people in our district. A lot of people have fought and died for our right to vote. So it's precious and we must exercise it every chance we get. Now, uh, if you would ask me why you should vote for me over my opponents, I'll tell you. Because we don't take any corporate PAC money. We don't take Wall Street money, real estate money, fossil fuel money. We don't take defense money. I would also tell you that in the last 14 years, by every measurable metric, things have gotten worse for working people and poor people and black and brown people in my district and not better. And I am the only candidate in this race that is 100% people funded. I'm the only candidate in this race that has the same lived experiences as the people I see every day I try to help. I would tell you to vote for me because we deserve so much better. And I'm going to fight every day to make sure we get it. So you win on the 23rd, you win in November, you're elected. What is the top priority for you when you go to Washington? Housing, housing, housing. You know, there in, in 2017, there were over 2,000 evictions in our district. And that's not just 2,000 people. Those are families. Those are working families. Those are poor families. Those are the essential workers that we see going to work every single day. You know, uh, the average apartment in central Brooklyn now is $2,700 for a two-bedroom, yet the median income is around forty-five dollars to $50,000. So it's unattainable for folks to even live in a community that they helped build. This very community started my family's American dream. My father immigrated from Jamaica in 1970 with a fifth grade education and absolutely no money in his pocket. And he came here and he settled here. And this community planted the seeds for my family's American dream. So housing is the most is one of the most important issues. Folks are being not even pushed to the margins. They're being pushed off the map right now. And our current representative takes hundreds of thousands of dollars every cycle from big real estate developers in the real estate lobby. So. That would be my first priority when I'm elected. And, and specifically, what, what do you think the federal government should do on housing to materially improve the situation facing people in your district? There's, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question because I get asked that a lot. What can the federal government do? There are a few things the federal government can do. Right now, Central Brooklyn has some of the highest proportions of public housing anywhere in New York City. So there's a law in the books, on the federal books, called the Fair Cloth Amendment. That should be repealed right now. The Fair Cloth Amendment states that HUD, Housing and Urban Development, cannot use funds to build any new public housing anywhere in the country. That's number one. That's why our buildings are falling apart. Uh, NYCHA is also owed $60 billion of money that the federal government is not, has not given to NYCHA. And our representatives haven't been fighting for that. Also, we can have national rent controls right now in such a time where folks are being are being evicted, or well, there's a moratorium on eviction, but when that moratorium runs out in August, what do you think these landlords are going to do? The federal government, could, a representative can put forth a national rent control bill right now. A representative can also 
tackle AMI, Area Median Income, which allows Westchester and Rockland County and Staten Island and Manhattan, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, to be factored into housing costs in Central Brooklyn, which again makes a two-bedroom apartment $2,700. It's totally unaffordable. There are a number of things, a number of things that the federal government can do on housing. And these are just some of the ideas that me and my team have thought, thought up and that are on our website right now. So I would imagine that there's not much, if anything, that you agree with President Trump on. But I'm curious, given your focus on uh, the working class and, and that kind of shape of progressive politics, what do you think of the president's position on trade, on things like NAFTA? Do you agree or disagree with some of his uh, statements and some of what he's tried to do vis a vis some of the trade agreements that earlier presidents put in place? Well, this is the thing we have to. No, I don't agree with President Trump, so we'll just put that as a baseline. But we also <laughs> have to realize that this is not just President Trump. All of our presidents, for the most part, have been corporate presidents, Obama included. Bill Clinton, all of them, George W. Bush, and they've all given big windfalls to corporations and large, you know, multinational conglomerates while, you know, screwing workers on the back end. So it's not just President Trump. He's terrible, but that's built into the cake. But President Trump did not did not institute NAFTA. Bill Clinton, a Democrat, instituted NAFTA, and that screwed workers over 20 years ago when I was a child. So uh, I, I think we have to get away from, as Democrats on our side, is blaming everything on President Trump. These problems preceded President Trump. And once he's defeated in the fall, we're still going to have to deal with these inequities that exist, like, you know, no protections for workers at any job. On your website, uh, one of the goals you articulate is wanting to end mass incarceration. And that is obviously yes. a goal that a lot of people do embrace. What does that look like for you? Because obviously there are some people who believe in ab- abolishing prison. Um, ending mass incarceration would have a slightly different tilt. And I guess the question is, at what point can we say we've done that? We Obviously, the New York state prison system has reduced its population significantly. There's still tens of thousands of people there. Uh, the city's jails are much smaller than they used to be. They're 20% smaller than they were even a couple of months ago because of COVID-19 releases. What does ending mass incarceration look like on a practical level? Ending mass incarceration on a practical level looks like 70% of the people who were in Rikers Island were in there for absolutely no conviction. No conviction, just awaiting trial. 70% of people who are in our federal jail system have been convicted of nonviolent drug offenses. So ending mass incarceration means the legalization of marijuana, not the decriminalization, the legalization of marijuana. That would free up so many people out of jail. It also means reenfranchising those people, taking the scarlet letter of a conviction, of a felony conviction off their record so they can be fully reintegrated into society, so they can be full members of society. It means it means going through all of our racist laws that are on the books getting rid of the mandatory minimums because that has sentenced so many people to jail. That means doing away with the disastrous war on drugs, which has destroyed the black nuclear family. That means taking those resources that we have, we lock people up and and investing in mental health counseling and drug counseling and diversionary programs. Those are the things that we're talking about ending mass incarceration because right now our jails are used in lieu of mental health facilities. They're used in lieu of drug treatment facilities. And there are millions of people who are languishing right now in 
and purgatory waiting for a trial that might not ever come. Look at the case of, of the young brother, Khalif Browder. He sat on Rikers Island for two and a half years for being accused of something. Now, forgive me, but the Sixth Amendment guarantees me the right to a fair and speedy trial. And nobody in their right mind would argue that Khalif Browder sitting on Rikers Island for two and a half years for something he was accused of is a fair trial, while there are the rich and the affluent who are walking free from jail right now. That is what ending mass incarceration looks like. So last question for you, Isaiah James, and just listening to you speak, it, it seems to me, and I'm, I'm reaching here, but you seem more like a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren guy than a Joe Biden guy, uh, which I, I'm assuming is true. Um, <laughs> that would be fair to say. I'm fair to say, right. You know, there's a perception out there that is repeated a lot in the mainstream media that primarily African-American Democrats are more centrist, that they are more comfortable with the Joe Bidens of the world than Bernie Sanders, and that that reflects um, some, some loyalty, some cultural traits, uh, just some history and experience, maybe having more at stake than white progressives do. Do you feel that that is true, that that there is a, a built-in loyalty to the vice president and a more of a centrist streak among African-American voters? Uh, I, I claim to be a learned man, but I can tell you right now, I cannot speak for all 44.5 million African-Americans who live in this country, so I can't answer for all black folks. That's number one. Number two, we're not a model, but I know we're not a monolithic voting bloc. There are black conservatives, Republicans, libertarians, Democrats, socialists. You know what I mean? Um, no matter who it is, a person has to earn the black vote. Our, black, our, our vote has been taken for granted a lot. It's been, it's been taken for granted you know, in the past, and some would say that there's a lot of black support for Joe Biden because he was the, pres the vice president for the first African-American pres president. But we also have to remember there are millions of young black people in this country who do not identify with the older version of Democrats. There are millions of young black people and people of color in this country, white folks included, who are looking at the Bernie Sanders wing of the party and saying, wait a minute, all these things that we've been screaming about for years about free college and not tying your health insurance to work and making sure that housing is a human right and giving teachers equitable pay and fair pay and reducing class sizes and shrinking the size of our criminal justice system. All these things we're talking about have been exposed by this coronavirus. You know, they didn't cause these problems, but it exposed these problems. So there's millions of young folks out there like me, I'm 33, who are saying, wait a minute, maybe there's a different way, maybe there's a better way because what we have done in the Democratic Party has led us to where we are right now, and we're not in a very good place. Well said, Mr. Isaiah James, Democrat for Congress, running in the June, July, sorry, June 23rd primary election. Thank you so much for joining us on Max and Murphy. Uh, thank you. I want to tell folks if they want to support us, they can go to IsaiahForCongress.com, I-S-I-A-H, ForCongress.com, all the same social media, and please get out there and vote on June 23rd. If you can't get out there and vote, you can... Uh, you can request a mail-in ballot, and that, that's on our website. You can request a mail-in ballot and mail your ballot in June 23rd. Thank that's you guys true. so Thank much. You so Everybody much. stay safe and stay healthy. All right. You too. Well, that concludes our uh, fifth interview of this very action-packed show here on Max and Murphy. 
Uh, sorry we couldn't get to more. There's a great story on Gotham Gazette's website about bail reform and budget cuts, perhaps delaying the plan to close Rikers Island. City Limits has stories about new concerns about the Gowanus rezoning, which may or may not occur anyhow because of the closing time window. And also a man who was 73 and been in prison for a very long time, awaiting clemency, and now he has coronavirus, his wife trying to figure out what his future holds. These are the stories that we have on GothamGazette.com and CityLimits.org every day. The stuff we talk about every week here on Maxim Murphy. And we are engineered by Reggie Johnson. Our intern is Anika Chowdhury. Our music is by Fort Indy. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.